The Start. On Demand. On Demand. Mackling is sitting down at a fast food place for lunch on Monday. And in walks a woman with her dog. She sits down, lets the dog sit on the bench beside her, and the dog rests its head on the table. Are you okay with this? Are you okay with dogs in restaurants? City Hall is looking at school speed zones in Winnipeg to see if changes need to be made. We'll talk to Transcona Councillor Sean Nason. A Canadian union has become the first to include 10 paid days leave for people looking to escape violent partners. And a Manitoba man living in Saskatchewan asked the Blue Bombers to send him a team lawn sign so he can support the blue and gold. And they're going to do it. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, and this is the Tuesday, June 25th podcast for The Start. Thank you very much, Jeff Ron. It's Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. What just happened there? No, the button was on. I, I, let's ask producer Kyle. Good morning. I, I tried. I tried to say hello. Couldn't hear myself. You know, I did everything on this board, and then I didn't put your microphones up. <laughs> so we're off to a great start. Oh boy! Hello, producer Kyle's in hello. for Jeff Fortier today. How's it going, Kyle? Well, it'll get better now, I guess. After that, so. yeah. should, or should we ask what's brewing? What Kyle? is brewing? Hello, oh, yes. Lol. Um, Lol. That's yes. his show. It's called What's Brewing. Oh, I got the joke. <laughs> Jokes I like are, how he just explained it to you. Jokes are always funny. You know funny that show you, you listen them. to every morning? Uh, it starts at 5 a.m.? Mm-hmm. It's Kyle. Mm-hmm. It is? Mm-hmm. What's it called again? What's Brewing. What's Brewing. With Kyle Milroy. This always makes jokes funnier, by the way. I this agree. I've tried to tell these guys that for months. That when I'm you have to you. over-explain a joke, it just gets funnier. I'm with you. Greg's not. I'm not. <laughs> Shocker. Greg's rarely with me. The line has been drawn in the sand. So it... Just rained for a couple of minutes here, but McNabb, I understand you drove in through uh, torrential rain. Yeah, well, honestly, the weirdest thing, you know, when you leave, I left the house, and first of all, I'm not to sound like a drama queen, but the story came out yesterday about this girl who had been abducted near Landmark, Manitoba. That's in southeastern Manitoba, and it's not my neck of the woods, but it's close enough that I actually got into the car this morning, pulled out, got out to make sure nobody was in the back of my car, because it's now in my mind about just some sort of suspect creeping out there. And then it started to rain, and then it really started to rain. So it was like I couldn't see up. I almost pulled over when the rain comes down so hard that you just, the windshield wipers can't keep up. And then it was gone. Within five kilometers, just done. Last night, I was in the driveway with the boys shooting baskets, not from the second story, but from the uh, concrete uh, driveway. And you could hear all the thunder going on in South Winnipeg. And I was checking Twitter, just keeping on top of what was going on, and full-blown hail and thunderstorm in South Winnipeg, and we barely barely a drop of rain in the north side of Winnipeg. So uh, it was one of those days yesterday where we had a variety of bizarre weather, depending on where you were, and it was absolutely gorgeous in other places. It yeah. was a real mixed bag. We heard a loud bang outside, and, and we thought, was that thunder, or was that like a train or something? You know, like a, the cars sort of colliding? Sure. Uh, but when the cat jumped and ran and hid, we're like, oh, it's a thunderstorm <laughs> off in the distance. And I kept waiting for it to come by. And you not, never got it. No, in St. Boniface. So I don't know. That I think it's that time of year people kind of like the storms too. No question. You're looking forward to it. And maybe later in July or when you're on summer holiday, you think no, but. 
this time of year, I always like a good one. I had a little bit of a weird experience going out to the car this morning. I was sure I heard somebody cough. <gasps> Very, very I'm sorry, audibly. that just gave me chills. I honestly am a little freaked. I again, like I don't I was, want to sound like a, I'm nope. a grown woman, but sometimes in that time of day, mm-hmm. and you're out there alone, and you're thinking, "Who's going to help me?" So what did it? Nobody. So, what was it? I, I, so it was somebody coughing, but it might have been maybe one of my neighbors with the window open sure. or something. But I was a little bit extra conscientious to the point where I sort of backed up my vehicle and I shot my brights and kind of did the winding S thing down the road to see if I could catch a glimpse of anybody that mm-hmm. was in the neighborhood that shouldn't be there. And I mean, it's not the first time where I've gone out in the driveway and either seen a vehicle that certainly doesn't belong or got a sense that there was nefarious actions taking place, if not really close to my house, uh, within two or three houses that people were doing things they shouldn't be doing. Mm. So, uh, yeah, I did, just on high alert these days, driving through downtown this morning, there were even more people out on the street than I'm used to seeing. I almost hit a guy this morning on the way in. I was driving, uh, I think, just past the old station on uh, okay. 930 Portage Avenue. Was he walking or on a bike? He was walking. Yeah. Uh, and I was I was in the median lane, and I had to slam my brakes because there was this guy just kind of staggering around in my lane in mm. the middle of the Stepped street. Stepped off? He was just, I, I couldn't, I didn't see him because the, the road sort of curves, I think, as you approach. Sure so it does. Just a, enough that, I mean, I, I, w- I didn't, like, come within inches of him. He was 100 feet away from me. But, well, but I enough that... His actions were unpredictable. Yeah, and there was a semi-truck in the oh, lane beside me that was geez. doing 70. Oh, boy. So luckily, the guy was able to figure out, oh, there are Cars vehicles approaching. Cars on the road that I shouldn't be crossing. <laughs> I should Eight lanes of traffic, and there are vehicles on them. Yeah. I don't know when I became, I, I don't know what's if it's just the hours you work or that you're tired at that time of day, but I've certainly much more cynical about what I see around me at that time. Like I make a bad as I'm assuming everybody who's out at 4 a.m. is up to no good, which isn't fair because I'm out at 4 a.m. and lots of people go to work or are coming home from work. But I see that I might see a guy out. I'm like, what's he doing out here? And I see someone on their bike and I think, is that your bike? You know, like I just have this terrible, cynical thing going on. I don't know if that's just because we've been talking more about crime and meth and all the rest or if I'm just, you know, tired and cranky and old. Maybe I'm just old. Older than you, you think? Yes. Yeah, well, and now like this curmudgeon. A lot of them are hopped up on, on drugs, though. And and my girlfriend, actually, uh, she works uh, early morning hours as well. And sometimes she there will be people hanging out outside her building in St. Boniface. And you, know, you, you can sort of tell when they're acting, when they're just kind of standing on the street mm-hmm. corner dancing. Like, uh, what are you doing there at 3 o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. or 3.30 in the morning? Come on. Yeah, so then you got to get out. You, 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 make the, you have to make the decision. Do I make a run for my car? Do I stay inside? What do I do? I, did I throw this out on the air the other day? I have a feeling that I didn't. Is it time for Winnipeg to consider a curfew? Ooh. A curfew? Uh-huh. What are we? Like, who has curfews? Lots of places like in the where? U.S. have curfews. No. For, for all for, ages? No, no, for kids under a certain age, if under the age of majority. Well, the curfew wouldn't apply to the, the, the person who was dancing on the street corner. Yeah. The no, guy was typically not, but it might, uh, might apply to uh, some of the kids you see on uh, bicycles with backpacks uh, that you know are uh, maybe up to no good at this point. It's not a crime to ride a bike with the bike pack or backpack uh, on board, but 
Is this the question? Yeah. Just the question. I don't know, I feel I don't like know how they, you would, I don't think the police would have time well, to enforce that. Well, they've got enough going on they without enough, pulling yes. over someone on a bike who might be 16 and shouldn't be out past 1130. Plus, curfews are, you know, meant to be broken. Yeah, the, 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 like, the people who would, who would follow the curfew are probably not the people who you would see. Well, that's an interesting question. Well, or do you want to be the, the officer who enforces that, Greg? No, I'm not interested in that in any way, shape, or form. And I'm not really interested in putting anything extra on the police because they have enough to do. But I think it might give them some power to speak to some people that might otherwise uh, maybe not be around if there was a curfew in place and it would give them an opportunity to pull them over and say, hey, uh, you know you're not supposed to be out at this time of the night. Anyway, just a, just a question. Um, just very quickly here, at 6.45 we're going to have a conversation about something that happened to you yesterday, Greg. You were out having a bite and you saw something kind of weird. A dog in a restaurant. Now, it was a quick service restaurant, but a restaurant nonetheless. And as most people know, I was in the restaurant business for a long time, and uh, unless it was a service animal, there's certainly no animals allowed in any restaurant I ever worked at, managed, or owned. In fact, I was uncomfortable with the idea of giving animals water on the patio that was attached to restaurants that I worked at, but we came around on, on that idea, so I made some inquiries as to whether or not the rules have changed. And I was quite impressed with how quickly I got the answers to those questions. All right, so we'll have that conversation coming up at 6.45. But in our next segment, we're going to talk more about the meth report, which is coming... Finally! ...this week. I just wanted to throw that in. Finally! Can you say it like The Rock? Did you ever pay attention to to wrestling when The Rock was... No. Finally! Finally! Yeah! I don't know. The the first one was good. Kyle's Kyle's killing himself. Yeah, he actually even had the kind of... Finally! Oh, that would have been more entertaining if The Rock did that. getting further and further away from the reality. (laughs) But we want to start this half hour with what Jeff Braun has been telling you about in global news and what happened in southeastern Manitoba. And the search that continues, I think, this morning for a man who's been accused of abducting a 16-year-old. So the suspect is between 18 and 22 years old, and police say he was driving a black truck down a rural road near Landmark, when he stopped a teen walking her dog. Sergeant Paul Monegre says the man forced the girl into his truck, but she later managed to escape. Walking her dog on the side of the road when she was approached by a stranger and forced into the vehicle and driven away from that location a short distance where then she was able to get away from the vehicle and basically run to this house and get help. The vehicle slowed down to this point where I think it was getting stuck because it was a mud road, my guess, being wet uh, last few days. She saw her opportunity, she took it. Traumatic experience for her. Um, She's almost in a state of shock. And like for a 16 year old female, uh, this is a traumatic experience, absolutely. Now he says, in case anyone's listening, the instincts for her or curious about her actions, right? He says her instincts to run really saved her. So it was the right thing to do in that circumstance. And I, that might be obvious to some, but I think if you're in that moment, you don't really know. Right, Depends Greg? what's said to you, what you're told, what the instructions are, what the abductor might say to you will happen to you if you try to run. I mean, this is something that you hope you mm-hmm. never, ever have to go through. And the original post that I read that was what, what seems to be by the sister of this girl, there was also a knife. 
So when if there's a weapon involved, you don't know, right? No, absolutely accurate. So he says in this moment that her instincts to run saved her. But the story, of course, has shocked people throughout the area. I, I was mentioning I was combing through social media last night and all sorts of people sharing this story and urging parents to talk to their kids about what you do if a stranger approaches you or, or you know, maybe changing some of your patterns if you're someone who lots of people run and bike on rural roads. Sergeant Paul Monegra has been with the RCMP for more than two decades, and he says he's actually not sure he's ever come across a story like this, particularly in a rural area. The abduction allegedly happened on a dead-end road that's just east of Landmark. In case you're not sure where that is, it's a small town about 30 kilometers southeast of Winnipeg. This is uh, approximately four kilometers just southeast of La- southeast of Landmark, you know, a rural location where uh, people aren't used to even hearing about such an incident, never mind kind of living through it. So it's definitely uh, one of those, uh, like I say, in my 23 years of policing, uh, I believe this is probably the first time I've come across this type of uh, complaint. We can assure everyone, like the, the amount of resources that came into this area. We had officers from St. Pierre-Jolie, Steinbeck, uh, police dog services, and then we had our officers from major crime services, uh, kind of more with the expertise in putting it all together. Everyone came down quickly and began working on this investigation. Uh, obviously, Time is of the essence, so the issue is trying to get as much information you can. And, and can you imagine now speaking to a 16-year-old who's just gone through this traumatic experience? That's the tough part is getting the information. So we obviously want to take time, make sure she gets the assistance, uh, the help she needs because she's going through this terrible uh, situation. So for us, it's putting the pieces, the information together, and then getting out there and finding this guy. Do this- Suspect is still at large. He's described as clean cut, 18 to 22 years old, short black hair with a round face. He's about five foot, eight inches tall with a medium build. RCMP don't have any license plate information, but do say the truck is described as a black four door pickup, older model and a dusty exterior. It had possibly been Repainted. Those are some extraordinary details there. And uh, I, whenever I hear a story like this, I'll never forget when Oprah did a special on kind of street-proofing your kids. And she got this expert to get kids and parents together and talk to them about what you should do in a park, if somebody, a stranger approaches you and how should, you should deal with it. And then about a week later, they do the simulation where a stranger comes to a park and approaches the kids, and basically none of the kids do what they were told to do. Mm-hmm. They more, they're more than happy to go along, along with the guy and look for his lost dog or go with him because he's got candy. It was startling. And in that same, I think in that same experiment, they put a handgun, obviously not loaded, in a room with the kids and basically said, nobody touched that. I'm going to be back in five minutes. Nobody touched that. And of the 20 kids in the room, like four or five of them mm-hmm. were bike playing with it instantly. So the things that we think we're teaching our kids and giving them the, the right tools to act in certain situation, you don't know how they're going to act until they're they're in that. Well, I know 
yesterday afternoon, my husband called and said, had you asked me if I'd seen the story and said, make sure you talk to the kids after school when you pick them up. And they and the the response too often is often like, yes, we know stranger danger. We'll yell for stranger. or We'll run to so-and-so's house or we'll call 911. But you can say that a million times over. But what are they going to do in that actual moment? And then, of course, yesterday I driving around. We, we are in south of the city. I see a black truck and I slow right down. And it's this poor senior elderly that I'm just ready to, I'm all fired up now, right? And I'm ready sure. to shake a fist and write down his license place and call police. And and so you've got two sides of it now. You've got that desire to catch this person and protect your kids. That's why police talk about this. Why That's why we, we talk about it because people do go on high alert in a situation like this. And it's most likely going to be someone who either remembers something that was going on that shouldn't have been going on or recognizes the vehicle from the description the RCMP gave. Well, and in, in this case, good for her for, for being able to act on her instincts and run and get away to safety. The examples that you provided from Oprah are a little, little bit different, but uh, I have an example that, that obviously has nothing to do with this, but it, it has to do with, can you think of what you've been taught mm. in the moment? And I went, skydiving like I don't know 20 years ago and I it was an eight-hour day the bulk of which was in a training class where they essentially hammered into us the things they wanted us to do when we jumped out of this plane and it was a very simple list it was just you got to count to three or count to five and then ask yourself am I falling too fast and so I can't remember the other thing Uh, there was a it was just a checklist and they pounded it into us and the moment I let go all of course I just I was just flailing like ah yeah, no, uh, I didn't think of any of it. I was just enjoying the ride, and then thankfully the chute deployed. Had it not deployed, would I have been able to? Yes, focus. Yeah, I think this, that your story is why I've never I've done the tandem jump, but not the solo because I think I would it would all go out of your head. But you have all these things in life that you know don't go in a car with a stranger. Uh, we, we we went through like a fire safety thing the other day at home about what you would do if you open the door and there was a fire in the kitchen or a fire in your bedroom and and you're expecting everybody to have these great responses but even as an adult let alone a child i don't know if i would operate accordingly god now i'm not now i know i'm never skydiving i do know that that's my lesson right now it was super fun though it was fun the tandem was great because you have no choice he just steps out, and you're like, oh, here we go. Like, I'm attached to you, so we're falling. Oh, I also, also as part of that jump, I got to hang on the wing yes. at first. I've oh, heard neat. that. No, I don't think so. Yeah. So, One of our listeners here saying uh, the expert on Oprah was Gavin DeBecker. He wrote a book called The Gift of Fear. It's a great read. Listen to your gut. Thank you for that at 780-6868. Another listener saying kids shouldn't yell stranger to many people because too many people don't want to get involved. This person taught their kids to yell fire, fire, because people want to watch the fire, which he says is sad but true. We're going to talk about dogs and restaurants. What happened to you yesterday, Mackling? Well, I tweeted out yesterday afternoon, should it be assumed that dogs are not allowed in all restaurants, with, of course, the exception of service dogs, unless it is expressly said no dog or dogs are welcome? Because okay. I was wondering if maybe the law had changed, because you go to a lot of places where you go shopping and they'll have the sign, dogs welcome. And then uh, I posted that and... Um, couple people saying, hey, isn't it against the law for the dog to be in? And I 
quite frankly, didn't know. So I phoned the health department, and regulations have not changed unless it's a service animal. They're not allowed in restaurant. Okay. Plain and simple. And even service dogs are not allowed, and this might be obvious, are not allowed where the food is prepared or stored. Yep. So there are restrictions, in fact, on where the service animals can go. And this was just an odd case of someone who clearly was in love with their dog, loves taking their dog everywhere. The person came in, and the dog didn't sit on the floor. The dog was actually allowed to sit up on the bench of the booth. And at one point had his chin on the table. And because it was a quick service restaurant, I knew the chances of that table getting wiped before the next person sat down were like one in 50. It just wasn't going to happen. The dog licked it clean, Greg. Oh, thanks, Jeff. (laughs) Anyway, that uh, I reached out to the health department. They were outstanding in terms of uh, giving me the answer and what the what the bylaws are. It's a it's a Manitoba thing. It's a provincial thing. So you can have a service dog, correct? And you can have a dog if the restaurant or establishment says dogs welcome. Uh, Restaurants are not allowed to restaurants. Period. Sorry, Uh, it's just stories. Just stories. Okay, sorry, I misunderstood. Yep. Okay, Hmm. so Cam Poitras, what do you think of this? Uh, crack the window, leave the dog in the car. Yeah. yeah. I mean, 100%. Yeah. I mean, I like dogs, but a dog, and this this is something that, you know, people, they love their animals. Their dog is their most important person in their life. This is a growing member of the, growing group of the population where their dog is more important than anything else in their lives. Cats are the same way, and I love dogs and I love cats, but it's it's just not, it's not a person, and it shouldn't be at a table, it shouldn't be in a restaurant, it can't be in a mall. It can't be in a store. There's got to be limitations on these kinds of things. And 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 that's if it's if a if a if a business wants to say dogs welcome, have at it. But like just leave the dog in the car, crack the window, make leave sure it's comfortable. Leave, leave it at home. You know, if you go, if you want to leave the car with the AC going, go, my, go crazy. My first instinct when Greg was texting us about this yesterday, I think I was pretty. I think I had an expletive evolved, but I, I said, "Get that dog out of the restaurant," because I was annoyed. And then the more I thought about it, I was like, "Okay, well, there might be situations like a patio." You mentioned Brett, like yep. you know, that's not an issue. You're outside. The dog's usually attached and well behaved. Yeah. But I think when what changed my mind is when you said the dog was sitting on the chair with its head on the table. And so then I'm like, well, the dog should at least be on the floor. Like I don't, the dog shouldn't be licking the table as well, Jeff Braun so well, nicely put it. What was it. funny is uh, the owner, parent, whatever terminology you want to use, took the dog outside and brought it back in. And as they were coming back in, the dog sort of stopped. The dog knew that he wasn't supposed to be really? in there. Oh yeah. And so the owner had to actually scoop him up or scoop her up to take her in to the oh, restaurant. Wow. So uh, the dog like froze at the doorway anyway. And uh, like I said, I just was wondering if rules had changed. They certainly have not. I think the world's a filthy place. And I think so long as the dog doesn't jump on me, I don't <laughs> care if it comes along. You can, the surgeon can bring the dog into the OR with him so long as it doesn't lick my wound. Oh, Actually, that's fine. Actually, no, they can't. <laughs> that was something that the health department made perfectly clear. Even a comfort animal for a surgeon is not allowed in the operating I'm just room. Saying just so you there know. There are so many germs out there that we're picking up on a daily basis that we don't even realize that I just don't think a dog in a restaurant is going to make that big a deal. Why add to it with the dog? <laughs> Jeff, you start every con- every conversation with the world as a filthy place. It though. is. <laughs> <laughs> Go outside. Take a look. Kyle, what um, do you think? There's no shortage of places you can go in like a drive through or just leave your dog in the car for a few minutes. Or there's we have three different deliver- food delivery apps now. 
There should be no reason like you should have to take your dog into a place to get food. Go. To, you should be limited by having your dog in the car in that way. I mean, there's enough places to eat without needing to do that. You want, I think. You want to know the irony of all this? The person who brought their dog <laughs> in the, into the restaurant wasn't even eating. Was just visiting with someone just who was hanging eating. out. Yep. Good lord. Yeah, I'm okay with uh, seeing. Uh, you see, dogs increasingly uh, welcome on patios, which I'm cool with. And I think in the context of because it was a fast food restaurant, I don't know that I would have a problem with it. Partly because I just love dogs, but I am fully aware as well that if you've got an allergy situation, if you're trying to eat and there's a dog sitting there and hairs potentially flying around some dogs shed a ton um i wouldn't be okay with that hair ruining someone's day and especially if if you're allowed to you want to bring your dog why not a cat well then that's a serious oh, problem no. for, for me that's because like I'm a whole other there should be a whole other set of rules it's the same thing but <laughs> well, if, if the you, cat's not gonna if you support the dog like you the have dog. to support the cat well, cats don't bring, in, a, anywhere, bring in an iguana in there whatever pet any pet bring a bird in there what's the it's the same <laughs> thing <laughs> if you defend the, the dog then you gotta if you got a pet parrot you then you have to you have to be also in support <laughs> of a bird flying around in a restaurant my bird's rights yes oh boy that would be entertaining if there was a yeah. parrot flying around at McDonald's while I'm trying to eat my Big Mac. It would be entertaining. Yeah, That's just, one thing. Yeah, if, it come, it, if it comes and, and it lands talked? on the table. Uh, yeah. You got a quarter pounder? <laughs> we actually have a, a nugget. We have a text here from a listener who says that her daughter, in fact, has a service animal and the, and the mom doesn't allow, doesn't go to a restaurant with the service animal, doesn't agree with the animal in the restaurant at all. And that's someone who benefits from a service animal. And Cam, I hate to tell you, you're taking a little bit of heat and the word, operative word is heat. Yes. About suggesting you leave the dog in the car. <laughs> I said crack the window, put the AC Do on. Do not leave a dog in the car. But I we said crack about the window. This is like a fast food restaurant. You could be in and out in five minutes. Don't it's, leave your dog in the car. You could also have a heart attack inside and not come back for hours and hours. Do not take, okay, leave your fine. Ca- no dog in the car. No one leave the dog in the car. Why not? You crack the window. No, it's unsafe. I think do it's that. probably. I think probably once we get super hot like this week, it's supposed to be crazy hot. I think there are studies that show within five minutes, like a kid or a dog can pass out pretty T- quickly. Tim thinks it's pretty funny. Uh, good one, Cam. Bring a bird into KFC. <laughs> <laughs> We start this hour on 680 CJOB with the speed in school zones. And of course, it's the last week of school for kids, meaning it's technically the last week you can get dinged for speeding in a school zone. But the question being asked this morning is, does that summer off make sense? The hours, the number of tickets, and whether more needs to be done to make school zones safer, like Greg, you suggested this before, should there be lights Speed bumps, other things beyond just the speed and the the enforcement is being debated at City Hall, where the Infrastructure Committee is being asked to consider a motion calling for a review of school zone enforcement. Transcona City Councilor Sean Nason is one of the councillors behind the motion, and he joins us now to explain. Good morning, Councillor Nason. Good morning. Thanks for taking some time, as always. What are you looking for? What are you asking for? Well, you know, I'm just looking to have a conversation. Apparently, this is a very big sacred cow. Uh, If you uh, raise any questions about speeding, the immediate response that comes back, it's a cash grab. And I want to understand if it is or not, if it's about safety, what more we can do to improve the safety. Uh, If people aren't getting the message to slow down in school zones, uh, you know, what else we can do? 
Sean, we had this conversation just last week with regard to whether or not it's a cash cow. And my and my firm belief is there are at least five school zones where there is essentially uh, one of those uh, radar photo radar vans permanently placed there uh, throughout the city. And my suggestion was that if there are enough people that are still speeding in those school zones after all these years... Could that not be an indication that 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 warrants them being there? Could that not be or should that not be an indication that that section of roadway isn't super safe, doesn't have appropriate signage or should have some other investigation in terms of slowing people down if it is genuinely about safety? Why well, I, I concur with that in the most part, like my perception is if if you're getting pulled over by the police on a regular basis, you're going to learn pretty quick that that's not a, uh, a, a way that you want to go through the city. Uh, when you're losing those demerits, you're losing losing the time in your travels of the day. You might you generally will learn to slow down pretty quick. I, I believe uh, we need we need to make sure that kids are safe at the school. You know, both parents, kids need to understand that. You know, a lot of times people are not paying attention the way they should be on both sides of the fence. And we need to make sure that everybody's safe and gets about their day the way that they want to. So what would prove this to you in terms of like, what are you asking for? Is it about the police coming forward and saying, you know, in this in these following school zones, we've we've we're handing out fewer tickets each year, which proves people are getting it. Or for handing out more tickets each year, that proves more needs to be done. What's going to be your data or criteria for this? Well, so what I've asked for is is for them to come back with a report. Tell me. What school zones, specifically in my area or in the area of the Elmwood or East Kildona, I always say Elmwood, East Kildona and Transcona Community Committee, so that includes North Kildona as well as Elmwood, East Kildona, to, to, to know in last year what tickets were issued, right? So that we know if the school zones are being effective, if there's particular ones that are troubling, and for them to come back with recommendations with regards to you know, do they need to have these flashing lights to alert you? Do they need to have the high-vis uh, yellow-colored signs? Like, they're, they're a white sign. Are they lost in the noise of, of all the other signs? My understanding, the city of Winnipeg has far more signs uh, on the street than what we should have. But, you know, I want them to talk with the schools as well to, so that they have an understanding of what the schools are hearing notionally do we, you know, is it making our streets safer? Does this include the idea, and we've talked about this before, you know, uh, they ticket you through this, the winter holidays, they'll ticket you through spring break, but you can go back to 50 kilometers during summer hours. Do you want them to take the city to take a look at that too, the notion of extending the school zone speeds throughout the entire year? Well, I'm not, I'm not limiting, limiting that to them. What discussion comes up today at uh, the uh, Infrastructure Renewal and Public Works, or yeah, public works uh, committee. That will be up to them if they if they if they want to expand the the motion. Uh, I just want them to look at the at the base, basic facts and and figure out what we have now if it's working or or not. 
Transcounter Councillor Sean Nason is our guest joining us live on 680 CJOB. And Councillor Nason, I know that there have been many times where I found myself in a school zone without even realizing that I've gone into one, not because I'm not paying attention, but you you referenced it. Sometimes there are a lot of signs and you just might not realize it until it's too late. But there's uh, you referenced the flashing sign. There's one on uh, one of the, the medians on Provence Boulevard, and you can see that a mile away. So, like, would it... How much do you any idea what it would cost to put that kind of a sign in more school zones? The ones that you're telling that's telling you the speed? Well, oh, you're, you're right. That one tells you the speed. Not necessarily yeah. one that tells you the speed, but just ones like put flashing lights on all of the, the school zone signs. I, I have no idea what the, the cost would be. I I personally think that having you know, having the alerts you know, if it's solar power. Um, I can't see it being that restrictive of a cost. And I think it should be mainly on the front entrance to the school areas where we're looking to put these. You know, those are those are the ones where, you know, the kids are getting dropped off and, and you know, may or may not be paying full attention when they're crossing that road. But, again, we've, we've got to make sure that both sides of the fence are well-educated with regards to traffic. Well, the one sign that I saw in Croatia that I thought was fantastic was in these school zones, and it had a digital display, and it didn't tell you how fast you were going. It gave you the posted speed limit, and underneath, if you were going too fast, it gave you a red frown face, like an emoji. (laughs) And if you were going the right speed, it gave you a green thumbs up, just something to reaffirm that you were doing the right thing. And I know this isn't possible for every single school zone in the city, but there have to be some that are raking in the revenue as much as as they ever have. And I think those should be the priorities just to figure out, hey, what we're doing, just camping out a, a van here is not working. It's not getting the message. What else do we need to do if this really is about safety? Well, like I said, I go back to my original, you know, policing cars or, or something of the like, you know, having a $100,000 plus uh, police officer probably isn't the most advantageous. Nope. But we need, we need to look at, at ways that we can make this effective. All right, Transcona City Councilor Sean Nason joining us live on 680 CJOB. Thank you very much for this, sir. Thank you. The first few weeks after baby's arrival is often called survival mode. You think you're going to know when you leave the hospital and they they tell you, but it's such a blur. For Alexandra McMillan, the late nights, the self-doubt and all the visitors made the transition into motherhood exhausting. I think even initially when people were coming over, I almost felt like I was trying to host them and I was still recovering. My body wasn't even recovered, let alone I wasn't sleeping. Geez, that sounds exhausting. Mm-hmm. That's courtesy of Global's Kim Smith, host of the Family Matters podcast. And listening to that clip, I think is a good reminder for me as someone without kids. I just, I don't know how parents do it. You know, listening to the two of you talk about all the stuff you have to juggle, the various baseball and soccer tournaments and everything, but especially moms, you know, carrying around another human being for nine months. Like, I feel gross when I've had too much to eat, mm. but that goes away after a few hours, not <laughs> nine months later. So I'm not even going to say I can only imagine because how can I? <laughs> All I can do is be supportive and I try to be. And when I see headlines like this, I, I raise an eyebrow. The headline at globalnews.ca 
Nearly one quarter of moms experience postpartum depression or anxiety. One quarter, 25%. New statistics suggest almost one quarter of mothers experience either postpartum depression or an anxiety disorder in the months following birth. Younger mothers are most at risk. Uh, The data found that 23% reported feelings consistent with either postpartum depression or an anxiety disorder, feelings that are more intense and longer lasting than the so-called baby blues and may not resolve on their own. And I guess one of the reasons why I brought this up is I, you know, baby blues, for example, what what would the baby blues be? Well, they talk about what, and I've thought about this often since I had are my kids is the feeling that you might have after that's a few days or maybe a couple of weeks where you're just it's it's so overwhelming that no no matter what you do or read to prepare to have a child there's just nothing that can can get you to that place where you feel good because your body's in pain um if you're breastfeeding there's other parts of your body in pain and you're in this real struggle and so it's, they often refer to it as the baby blues just that you're you're just not used to it and so it might be a couple of days or a couple of weeks and there's a difference between feeling a little bit down in the the moments after having a child versus something might might be more of a clinical diagnosis, which would be postpartum or anxiety. And I've often wondered, especially with my first, and and I can I think a lot of new moms and dads can relate to that first child is so scary, and you don't know what you're doing, and you don't know how your body's ever going to recover, and you don't know, uh, you know, if you'll ever get better or if the sleep will ever come. And so your your head's just filled with all these things. Not to mention like the number of times you just wake up checking to make sure your baby's breathing, or like you know, or what was that cough why did they snort like that you just your whole mind is like oh my god am i killing my child basically for for days if not weeks and so i've wondered if some of the things i felt as a new mom weren't baby blues like weren't just you know short-term things that might have gone a little longer and had i maybe been more open about it might have had some help more quickly well think about all the physiological changes the emotional changes everything the physical you mentioned brett and all the things that must go on for for a mom that's delivered a baby and then your body started trying to reset, but you're also on this hyper alert, you're sleep deprived, you have all the self doubt that talk about a, but it feels like from the outside looking in like the perfect elixir for things to go wrong. If they're going to go wrong, it feels as though that's when it would go wrong in and terms of any sort of biochemical for sure. or other issues within your body. For sure. And I think the thing, the question about baby blues versus whether it's something you need to talk to somebody about is, is a good one because you get to this point where you think, okay, well, tomorrow will be better. Tomorrow will be better. And if you're a mom that's not getting better after you know a shorter window, you might, you might want to be vocal about it, right? Because you are so overwhelmed and you, at the end of the day, you don't know what you're doing. Like you can read a book and you can have your mom there. You can have your mother-in-law there. You can have your husband be super helpful. But but you're looking down at this baby that's looking at you and you're like, I'm sorry, buddy. Like, I don't know, man. I'm doing the best I can. I'm doing the best I can. Oh, I get teary just thinking about it. It's hard. You can read more at globalnews.ca. Nearly one quarter of moms experience postpartum depression or anxiety. There's a motion before we've been we got a lot of things before uh, City Hall this morning. The committee's looking at uh, should they review how speed zones or school zone speeds are enforced and whether or not it's about safety or is it about cash? And and now they're also being asked to take a look at adding 
uh, a transit police force. We know safety has been a big issue for both riders and passengers for years now. Safety shields are being installed in all of our buses, but that doesn't really do anything if you're a passenger that's been worried about safety or seen questionable things or behaviors happening on the bus. And so earlier this year, Transit was asked to review how a special transit police force would work. And that report is being presented to the Public Works and Infrastructure Committee this morning. So here's what they found. If you use a model that's in place in cities like Ottawa, Winnipeg would need about 36 constables for our population of about 750,000. But if we want to follow other cities, then we'd have to look at giving these constables expanded powers like the authority to detain. Right now, our inspectors can only go under what's in the bylaws. so They can do things under a bylaw, but not under a criminal nature. So they can't detain, they can't arrest, they can't hold that person until police arrive. So our question for you this morning, if you're a transit user, a bus rider, casual or regular, is would a special police force make you feel better? And then if that question is yes, if it would make you feel more safe, then would you be willing to spend what looks like at least three to five million dollars more per year to make your ride safer with that constable? And and where would that conversation go? Because if you're giving constable more power, then they have to go to the province to change the rules. The police have to be in agreement. And so it's a big conversation that's about to take place at City Hall. Those transit systems where there are these special constables are set up much different than Winnipeg's, most of them, Ottawa included, which is the example that you cite here. Loren has rapid transit. They have LRT, they have BRT, and they have something that's called off-board payment. So a lot of the duties that go along with those special transit constables is fare enforcement. And right now that falls on the drivers in Winnipeg. And so I'm wondering if this doesn't make it doubly important for transit drivers in terms of their safety. We know that a lot of the disputes that happen between drivers and passengers have to do with non-payment of fare, have to do with faulty pago cards and the different things and disputes that can go on when someone is paying a fare and that point of interaction, that point of sale. So on one hand, you could argue, oh, you know, those systems are much bigger, more complicated, but it would be nice if... The operators could just operate the bus well, and didn't have to deal with any sort of these disputes. Clearly, you can't eliminate them, but it would be nice to have an extra layer of enforcement, somebody else to get involved, to get in the middle of that. Right now, they have transit supervisors and other individuals that come, and but it takes a long time in order for them to show up. So if you had a, a special squad of these constables, it might make a huge difference. If you look at places like Vancouver and Toronto, you mentioned they have subway systems or or the train. I think and they have the skies. SkyTrain Sky, in, Sky in Vancouver. And so you're right. You're already, you've already paid for that service. And so therefore that eliminates one of the reasons to have a dispute. And then, then those special constables, those police transit forces, or sorry, sorry, those transit constables are just there for other things that might happen and might go wrong. I think you could probably find that there has to be data on are there certain routes in the city that have bigger safety questions than others? Are there certain times of day? And then you could apply the constables accordingly. I have a feeling this is, and I think that's what the recommendation is in the report. They're not making a recommendation. They're just saying, look, here's what we'd need. Here's what one of the costs might be. If we go forward, we're going to have to change laws. We're going to have to talk to the police about how they feel about giving constables more power. And I know it'll go back to more study. Well, and it's not only about the safety of the operators. I think there's a crisis of uh, confidence in the system as it... uh, 
as it pertains to passengers. People feel, not saying all passengers, but there are enough people that feel unsafe on the bus that it would be very comforting to know that that perhaps there might be a special constable riding along that could interject when there are conflicts amongst passengers as well. Got a couple of minutes here. We just wanted to quickly revisit a topic we were discussing earlier this morning. Greg went to a fast food restaurant yesterday. Patron brought in her dog and let the dog sit on the bench, put its head on the table. And this customer, by the way, wasn't even eating. So we've been getting your feedback on this. We put polls on our 680CJOB Instagram story. We would love for you to follow us there. We also put the poll on Twitter and on Facebook. Many of you weighing in so far. And by a text at 204-780-6868. One of the texts says here, I think the dog in the restaurant business is another case of the growing condition in society these days. Quote, it's all about me. Little or no consideration of others. I want to do it. I will. And the rest of you or the law be darned. Speeding and running red lights are other examples of this type of behavior. Is that what it is? Or is it also maybe the idea that dogs and pets are like we're, we treat our animals very differently today than we did 20 years ago? Well, here's a comment on our Facebook page from Kim who says, My fur baby eats mm-hmm. at the table... Only on special dinners like Christmas, Thanksgiving, etc. Yes, there's a plate set for him. He sits in the chair and eats dinner with us. He is my fur baby, and they don't get treated any different than my own children. Only difference between my kids and my fur babies is I, of course, didn't give birth. But, but would the dog go to the restaurant? Your, eat, the rule at your table is different than your everybody sure. else having to be around it. Yeah, I have no problem. Whatever you want to do within your own household. I know my dog is pretty spoiled. She doesn't eat uh, table food. Uh, but other than that, it, you would be forgiven for mistaking her for our daughter. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. uh, just uh, based on how she gets treated in our house. She rules the roost. Another texter says dogs in restaurants. I have a grandchild who is not comfortable around dogs yet. I would be upset if I couldn't enjoy a meal with him in the restaurant, but the dog could. I myself had a huge fear of dogs until I was uh, until about 20 years ago. I yeah. I, I, I don't know. The, I think that it depends. I think for me, it would depend on the restaurant. Like someone wrote to say that there are so many germs other than what a dog has. And this listener says the person who doesn't wash their hands after the washroom, etc. If the cat, bird or other pet is on a leash, they can be like a dog. So they're OK with it. I think, I think it depends where I am. I'm deferring to the health department. The health department says it's a no-go Unless it's a service dog, service animal. One of our texters pointing out the fact that service dogs could be uh, apt to shed as well, etc. Well, the, the law is the law. And um, in this case, I'm not fighting the law. I think uh, both laws make sense. Oh my God! Is this the NBA on NBC? Oh. <laughs> yes. I love the enthusiasm. Can I meet the ball because I'm gonna dunk it? That's dunk right. It? Who is that, Kyle? Oh, it's not SNL. It's, it's a uh, Saturday Night Live sketch. Is it? <laughs> yeah. Isn't that how almost everyone feels when you? We were talking this morning, like you put a basketball in anyone's hand, and everybody suddenly feels like, oh yeah, like I'm totally watch this, like, and nobody's good in my world anyway. Oh, we come to my house, we can lower uh, the net to eight feet, and you do all sorts of crazy I know, stuff. But you have to clarify. 
try that. Greg comes in this morning and he says, it was raining three-pointers last night at my house. Oh, no, it was on the 10-foot net. Mm, were you? Yes, I'm going to need was. some video evidence. I'll bring you some video evidence. I'll bring it to you tomorrow. Are you going to be able to, are you going to try out for Team Canada when they take on Nigeria? Come on, I am a realist, Brett McGarry. Let's, <laughs> come on now here. What are you accusing me of? Hey, uh, that's, uh, <laughs> that's just, uh, that's just lunacy, a suggestion like that. Team Canada does not need me because they're going to have Andrew Wiggins of the Timberwolves, Jamal Murray of the Nuggets, Kelly Olenek, Tristan Thompson, Corey Joseph, Tyler Ennis, and R.J. Barrett, uh, Steve Nash's godson, in action August 9th when they play, when they host Nigeria here at Bell MTS Place. And Adam Wedlake is here to join us to talk about the effect of the Toronto Raptors Championship and this basketball game, Team Canada, coming to Winnipeg. He is Executive Director of Basketball Manitoba. Adam, are you as excited as anyone uh, about this game August 9th? Overly excited. This has been a tremendous uh couple months here for our sport and, and to have this kind of game reach our uh, uh, reach our city and province uh, coming up in, in August there is uh, is total icing on the cake. So by the way, if you'd like to get your tickets, uh, special price until tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. Go on to Ticketmaster, use the code RAPTORS and you can get tickets for $20.19. Yeah. So that makes it super accessible to everyone and Adam, really what we wanted to get down to here is not only the excitement around the Raptors and this game, but the effects that it will have on youth basketball and the number of, of players playing the game and, and perhaps at a higher level than ever. Well, yeah, this is something we're really uh, wanting to see this uh, ride this wave here. We've really been experiencing the last uh, six weeks or so with the, with the rise of the Raptors and what they've done uh, with the pinnacle last week. And now it really it's our job is to transform some of that excitement into some more medium or long-term involvement of people. And that's involved as a player, as a coach, as an official, as a volunteer. And uh, so this is the kind of stuff that makes our jobs that we've been doing for uh, basketball has been played in our province for for uh, over 100 years. So this is uh, something that we've we've been experiencing. For, for, for generations uh, around our circles, but it's, it's awesome to see our tent get larger with more people getting involved. For the uninitiated, sorry, Brett, I interrupted, but I'm, you know, I'm thinking of someone like myself and my family. We're not huge basketball fans. We like to play it. If we haven't been to a game like this at this caliber, what, what's the difference between seeing athletes of this level play live versus just what we've been watching the past few months on TV? Well, it, it's just really no different than any other sport when you have that live environment versus uh, seeing it on TV. TV gives you a pretty good sense of what's happening, but just the size and speed of the game at this uh, international level, uh, we're also very lucky to be having uh, having uh, most or hoping that a, a local player, Keith O'Mara, will be actually suiting up for Team Nigeria as well, who has uh, Nigerian roots. Uh, he'll be finding that out his his future this summer. He'll find that out in, in the next couple weeks, and that'll just add to it that we've got a, a local connection on the on the Nigerian team as well. Any idea how many youth are playing basketball in, just say, in the city of Winnipeg? Well, just I guess we, we're a provincial body, so I can give you some numbers on, on the on the province-wide say, uh, sake. Now, if, if you sort of rewind back, say uh, we sort of use the term like pre-Raptors, which was sort of that mid-90s range. That's sort of when I started with the organization as well. We were probably running at about uh, 4,000 participants, give or take, and now we've we've pushed over 20,000 people. And these are active people that are that are not just a, a hoop in their driveway, which is which is wonderful. Not just going to the playground at night, which is wonderful. Uh, these are people actually engaged in a, on a regular uh, year-round basis with us. 
4,000 to 20,000 over over what period again? That's about, well, the, the Raptors have been around for almost 25 years now, so it's about a generation that we've we've seen this shift. It's amazing. And, uh, uh, and, and really the, uh, a big shot of, of our numbers that we've really been seeing over the last, say, even 10, 15 years has been coming out of uh, new Canadians who are coming uh, into into Manitoba here. Uh, a lot of our, uh, our our growth is coming out of uh, Asian and, and African populations, uh, not exclusively, but that's really we're seeing a large uptick in, in that. And and specifically, uh, the Manitoba Filipino community is uh, is is wildly involved with basketball mm-hmm. and, and brings a, a huge passion for the game. And and being that that language is the second most spoken language in the city now, that sort of gives you an idea of of uh, sort of the volume of people we're looking at. Well, we've seen Steve Nash win two NBA MVPs over that 25 years, and in fact, you don't have to go back that far for Nash's last MVP. So there have been lots of things to have Manitobans get excited about and have their awareness drawn uh, to basketball. So we just want to let people know one more time, you can go to Ticketmaster, look up the the, uh, Team Canada versus Nigeria game, Bell MTS Place, it's coming up on Friday. That's a big deal to, I think, August 9th and you can get your tickets for $20.19. Adam, always great to catch up with you. Maybe we'll talk to you as we get uh, closer to that game featuring Team Canada. And the news yesterday that Nick Nurse is in fact going to coach Team Canada, that's a big deal as well. Thanks for this, Adam. Big stuff. Very good. Thanks. Here is the headline at globalnews.ca. Deals reached unpaid time off for domestic violence victims, the beginning of a wave, according to an expert. Loren, what's happening here? Well, this story came through, Greg, yesterday. You were reading and thought this was pretty interesting. It's about a pretty big Canadian union. I think a Professional Institute of Public Service of Canada, and they represent, I looked it up, about 55,000 Canadians, which you might not know, many of them government employees, And their union just uh, reached an agreement uh, that allows paid time off up to 10 days for victims of domestic violence. And it's something that many believe is the start of a new trend. Yeah, Bob McQuarrie is Centre for Research and Education on Violence Against Women. She, uh, I'm sorry, Barb, I should have your title there. She's... With, That's okay. uh, I'm the community director. Well, thank you for reaching out to us and joining us this morning. Uh, Barb, is this going to be a, an increasing uh, trend or, or should it be? Oh, it, both. It, it will be and very much um, so it should be, yes. Why is it taking so long for us to come around on this? Maybe that's the better question. Well, um, you know, it took us, it, although this is just coming to light now, we've been working on this for, um, you know, at least the past decade pretty hard. So we had to start with research. Um we began looking around at uh, existing research to learn, like, how does domestic, well, first of all, the question, does domestic violence impact the workplace? Um, and we found lots of research that indicated it does in terms of um, harassing phone calls, harassing emails, text messages, stalking at the workplace, the abuse of partners showing up at the workplace, phone calls to the employer and to coworkers, where is she, what's she doing, who's she with, what time does she leave, what time is she getting home. So it, there's many ways, and then there's, there's the impacts of um, people who can't focus and concentrate as well, there's the safety threats, um, there's the absenteeism and the t- 
tardiness. So there's all, we found, yeah, there's lots of ways that domestic violence impacts the workplace. Um, we didn't have any Canadian research. So um, that took a while to get together a team of researchers, to get together funding, partnerships. So back in 2014, the Canadian Labour Congress and my centre released a report that uh, was findings from over a survey that went to over 8,000 Canadian workers across the country. Every province and every territory was represented. And sure enough, um, we found, first of all, that uh, we're talking to workers now. Over, in a lifetime, one-third of them have experienced domestic violence. And for those that have experienced domestic violence, over half, 54% said it followed them to work in some one of those ways that I just mentioned. So, you know, then, when, okay, so now we've got our evidence. Then that takes a long time just to disseminate that information, let people know that it's called knowledge dissemination, right? Get it out there. And then it takes time for advocates, unions to pick it up and to say, oh, we, we have, you know, we have to do something about this. So that's what's been happening. You know, uh, in reading the, the article that was done by the Canadian Press, they talk about the idea that there are some provisions in place for different provinces, depending on where you live. So in Manitoba, for example, where we are, you can get up to five mm-hmm. days of paid leave. This change, this union is talking about 10 days and it's, it's just yeah. doubling the time. What's the? It doesn't sound like a lot, but what would be the difference to a person who might be going through this, not just to have uh, you know a day off to go say file a police report or seek medical attention, but to have some substantial time to try to exit your situation? Oh, well, I think it could, it could make all the difference of um, having a sense of security that I can do this, I can, get, I can get this done, I can get this done with the backup and support of my workplace. I don't have to worry about my, my employment status while I'm getting my affairs in order, while I'm looking after my children and their needs related to you know, all of the violence that happened. Um, it's, it's, I want to emphasize that those 10 days, it's like a, it's a, it's safety. It doesn't mean that every survivor is going to use all 10 days. And so we have research that shows that most survivors don't use the whole 10 days, but knowing that you have it, if you need it, might be the thing that allows you to put things in motion to do whatever you need to do to assure safety for yourself and for your children. If I'm putting my actuary hat on and I'm representing a business in this negotiation where you've put this proposal forward and you'd like me to consider this as a benefit for the employees, Mm -hmm. I see tons of financial benefit for me as an employer to give my employees an opportunity to take care of this situation. If I'm looking at it extremely selfishly, I want you to get things in order so that you can be more productive while you're here. This this seems to suggests that the sooner you do that, the better it is for everyone involved, including me as the business owner. There's no doubt about that. You're absolutely right. And so we're just beginning now to do research to, uh, again, in research in Canada, because we do want Canadian evidence that um, we can actually save employers money through these kinds of measures. Um, but we've got, uh, we've got gen- we have some Canadian research on cost to employers of domestic violence. It's largely underestimated because we can only measure what we have numbers for. So there's all kinds of missing numbers. But from around the world, we can see research that just indicates that the economic costs to employers of domestic violence are massive. 
And again, it's in the, the lost days, you know, being absent, being late, being at work and not being very productive. And then we also have research that shows that um, there's safety concerns, largely from offenders. So it's not just the survivors. It's, it's people who use abusive behavior. Um, we have a couple of research studies from the U.S. and one from Canada that shows that they're more likely to get into accidents. So those are expensive for employers. So there's lots of different ways, right, that um, this costs us. How would a, a worker with this benefit uh, take advantage of, of this time off? Like, what kind, would, would proof need, like, how would you bring that up at work and say, I, I need time off because of yeah. what's going on? So the details of what proof needs to be provided are going to be worked out in each piece of legislation and in each collective agreement. But the principle of of this is that to make it uh, to make it as um, light a burden on the survivor as possible. And so things like uh, a doctor's note, a note from a, a counseling center, a woman shelter, um, a lawyer. So having a you know a broad range of uh, types of proof makes it a little bit easier, you know. But it, it still means the survivor has to get over that stigma, has to raise their hand and say, "Oh, this is me. This is happening to me. I need this help." That's still difficult. But I think that as we do this more, we're going to lessen that stigma. We're going to say, no, this is this, this happens. This happens a lot. It happens to a lot of people. And we know now that the right thing to do is just offer support. Barb McQuarrie at Western University Center for Research and Education on Violence Against Women and Children. She is the community director there. Barb, thank you very much for joining us this morning. Oh, thank you for having me. Last night, Bob Irving put something out on Twitter. Yeah, he was concerned for his health, so he was at Grace Hospital. We've had several text messages asking how Bob is. We were a little bit reluctant to come on the air. This is a private situation for Bob, even though he was tweeting about it last night. And in the last half hour, he's tweeted out, and I've exchanged emails with him. All is well. Can't wait for Bombers Eskimos Thursday. See you at IG Field. And uh, right into the promotion, six hours of coverage, me and Doug and many others. <laughs> Others, starts at 5.30 Thursday afternoon. So for those of you that have been concerned about the well-being and health of our good friend, Bob Irving, he is A-OK and ready to go for Thursday night. Well, they we're about to talk to somebody who maybe, hopefully, still listens to Bob on the radio when he's checking out the Bomber games. Why don't we ask him? We were alerted to this Another thing through social media yesterday with Corey Shapansky, who is a proud Manitoban and apparently a super proud Blue Bombers fan. He tweets yesterday, I am a Manitoban living in Saskatchewan. I am diehard blue and gold. I wear gear almost daily. I take and give tons of ribbing and love it. Please, would you reach out to me and get me one of those long signs to display here? Hashtag for the love of the game. Corey, do we got you on the line now? You bet. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for coming on with us. First of all, well, Greg has said to me off air, what's this guy do? Like, why is he in Saskatchewan? So I'm going to let you, he hates Saskatchewan. So I'm going to let you answer that first. Okay. I I don't hate Saskatchewan. <laughs> I pretend to hate Saskatchewan. But what in the hell are you doing living there? Why are you there, Corey? You follow the money, Greg. You got you to gotta go where the employment is sometimes. And that's how we ended up here. So uh, five years ago, we made the big move and, uh, 
you know, I feel the exact same way. It's like you, you don't hate Saskatchewan, but there is a, a piece there. And, and that's what, you know, really opened my eyes when I got here is that rivalry is real and it is more than, than you could ever imagine. So being here for five years, all the looks in the grocery stores, the chats, the conversation starters, I mean, the rivalry is deep. And it's not just uh, during the Banjo Bowl or on a Labor Day game. I mean, this is 365 days a year. This is what people know me as. Is like as soon as I walk in, it's like, oh, get that hat off or oh, the bomber guy's <laughs> here, you know, that kind of stuff. So, well, you know what? It, I think that is one of the things that I do love most about Saskatchewan. It is uh, their pride for where they live, pride of place, pride of one another, and just this undying devotion to the Rough Riders because a lot of people of a certain age know the Rough Riders are a very successful team. They've built a brand new stadium. They've won a couple of great cups. They lost a great cup on a real boneheaded play. We won't talk about that. Uh, but let's face it, uh, there were times... Uh, 30 years ago where the Saskatchewan Rough Riders were the laughing stock of the CFL and uh, people still supported them. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you hear it a lot and I don't mean to talk down about them, but it's all they have. It, it really is. The Riders have been it for them for so long. Every single fan that you meet is some sort of statistician. They know the history. They know the league, but not just their own team. They know every team. Like the CFL here is huge. Uh, so just for our listeners, you live in Sedley, which is just, uh, I think, is it east of Regina? South? Yeah, I'm just southeast. It's a commuter town, so we're about a half an hour outside of the city. Okay, you mentioned that you're a lifelong Bombers fan. What, what are we talking about in terms of gear? You say you wear it almost daily. So do we have dozens of shirts and hats, or what is it? <laughs> I wish, Lynn. I really do wish that I had dozens. Um, you know, we got three kids under the age of nine, so, you know, <laughs> economics don't allow me to have dozens but uh definitely got a few hats few t-shirts a couple hoodies and uh so does my wife and you know we're, we're very proud bomber fans and uh and we wear it uh proudly everywhere we go so you reached out to the winnipeg blue bombers and asked for this lawn sign and you tweeted that they have reached out to you so what uh what are they going to send you yeah, I got I got a private message through Twitter and said, you know, call this contact number and, and speak to them. And uh, so I did. And they asked me to send an email. So as far as I know, I'm, I'm you know, only receiving a lawn sign. But that's that's more than than awesome to me. Like, I can't believe that the team did reach out to me and, and is going to send me something out here. Uh, it makes me even more proud. Well, Tim says here, send Corey at least 20 signs as a community gesture. So uh, your <laughs> your message and your desire for these signs or for a sign is, is resonating here as well, Corey. And uh, just to get back to this whole idea of, of loving Winnipeg, loving Manitoba and, and living away, I, I have moved away three times. So I know exactly what you're talking about in terms of economics. Your heart is one place, but your, your wallet and the opportunity is elsewhere and but but po- folks always used to say to me Mackling if Manitoba's so damn good why don't you move back there <laughs> so what do we have to do to get get you back here just to find you a real good welding job like what's what's the key here I, I'm recruiting I'm recruiting former Manitobans one at a time here I don't care what it takes <laughs> yeah no we, we'll definitely be back there uh, eventually you know I'm I'm not the only bomber fan here in Saskatchewan I know if I could just quickly Lauren in Saskatoon, Tim in Gredfield, Matt and Prince Albert, they wear their, their hearts on their sleeve as well. And I know them as diehard Bomber fans. And, uh, 
I got to give a shout out to them too because I'm sure that they're always involved in the ribbing just as much as I am. Is there, does the ribbing ever become not ribbing where it actually is unfriendly? Yeah, I'll tell you about one, one quick story if we got time. Uh, the playoff game last year here in Saskatchewan. So I was uh, fortunate enough that one of my friends with season tickets uh, allowed me to get to go to that game. And uh, when I got there, <laughs> the, the crew of, of Ryder fans that I was sitting with were more than shocked that a Bomber fan was going to be sitting with them for this game. And uh, when we started taking over that game and really winning, um, the ribbing started to get a, you know, a little more rude. Uh, there was a couple of cheap shots that were thrown in there. And then, uh, I don't know if you remember the game, but near the end when uh, when one of our guys hit uh, Zach Claros mm-hmm. pretty hard and, and pretty high. Um, you know, I actually got a little worried, you know, for about five minutes in there. I, I shut my mouth and I, you know, I sat down <laughs> because uh, they they were very emotional. And uh, you could tell that, that they, they turned angry pretty quick. Well, you, I'm sure you get it on Twitter. I get it from time to time from the Sasky fans. The hashtag 1990. You get the 1990 chant when you're in your blue and gold at Mosaic? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, given that, do you have any fears of this, this lawn sign that's on its way is going to soon be filled with graffiti? Or do you think it can survive a couple days? I think if I lived in, in the city, there would be a bit more fear. But in the small, beautiful town that I live in, you know, everybody's pretty good. If there's going to be some graffiti or anything, I, I would assume that it's going to be lighthearted and, and pretty friendly. Um, I don't think that anything will happen to it here, but there was a couple I met from Mooseman one time who told me they flew a bomber flag, you know, years ago, and their house was egged. So, <laughs> you know, it, it may happen. Corey, you're talking, you're talking about a fan base that once dumped uh, horse manure, cow manure on the front lawn of their own kicker when he missed a crucial kick in a playoff game. So be careful out there, my friend. Be very, very careful. Hey, I appreciate this opportunity. I, I know, you know, sometimes it, it gets pretty lonely here uh, with the blue and gold. So thanks a lot for, for allowing me to come on and speak to Manitoba. Miss you guys. Go Bombers, go. Thanks, Corey. Make sure you send us some pictures once that signs up, all right? You bet. Have a great day. All right, Corey Shapansky. You can follow him on Twitter at Corey the Welder. That's spelled C-O-R-Y. You wouldn't want to try and spell his last name, so it's a good thing he has a better, a better Twitter handle. I've than known his Corey last for name. years, and he grew up in Westman. And uh, you said to me, "How do you spell his name?" And I was like, "I don't know." There's a Z and another Z and a C, and a, I don't know what's happening. So repping the two hundred four and the three hundred six—that's a hard job. Thanks, Corey. 9.45 on 680 CJOB. Kathy Kennedy is going to join us in a moment to tell us what she has coming up, sitting in for Jeff Courier this week. First, we'll check your forecast in three minutes with Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb on the start. Hey, thanks for listening to the Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think. And hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global. And on Instagram, at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.